Hey, what's going on, guys? Here's another version or edition, not a version, edition of the John Papaloni podcast. We are in the holidays, and as you can tell, I'm doing more podcasts than normal. Obviously, normally it's Wednesdays at 11 a.m., and that still continues, but I thought with the holiday cheer, I'm going to uh, bring in more shows, bring in more uh, information. We're going to have a great time. Today, we have Lucy. How you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Absolute pleasure. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so we usually start off the uh, podcast with a brief bio of who you are and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Lucy Price. I am a relationship and empowerment coach. And what I do is I help people reclaim and rise in their power so that they can have the life, relationships, business, or career that they are craving. Well, that was very simple. Now, question. <laughs> like, I like to like, keep it simple. That's awesome. We make things too complex as people as it is. Just keep that simple. <laughs> you know, that's so true, eh? Like sometimes something so simplistic, mm-hmm. and we always, you know, create these long stories that end up going on and on and on. And sometimes yeah. by the end of it, you're going, okay, that was great. What do you do again? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like in one ear, out the other. <laughs> so, I mean, let's face it. Today, we have very limited attention. Yeah, well, especially with the holiday seasons, like everyone's trying to grab your attention, like left and right. So if you're here, if you're hanging out with us, like kudos to you for taking some time out of your day to serve yourself and just take five minutes to listen. This is great. Yeah, for sure. Now, why don't you tell us, how did you get into this? I mean, like, I, I don't know how old you are and I, I don't think it's relevant, but yeah. I'm sure you didn't start off here. Like, you know, <laughs> no. I, I'm assuming like everybody else, we all got the go to school to get a good education, to get a yeah. good job story. And clearly that's not what happened here. So how no. did that come about? <laughs> no, it definitely was not what happened in my story. So I, I did, you know, I got the same story as everybody else that you get an education, you go to college, you get a good job, you have the, the picket fence and the kids and the car and then you retire and all that kind of good stuff and that is not what life had in store for me so basically what happened was i ended up graduating university i got a corporate job um and in that time at that point in time i was a marketing coordinator and an administrative assistant and this was a dual position um, that really should have been two people but alas i got given that position um, and i started working in corporate And through that journey, I had experienced more anxiety, more depression, more stress than I had ever felt in my life. And the the narrative that kept coming through my head was, what's wrong with me? Everybody else has a nine to five. This is what everyone talks about. This is what stability looks like. This is what success looks like. What is wrong with me? Why can't I do this? And this was about like five-ish years ago at this point um, when I was going through this. And in that time, I just kept thinking that I was the problem and that the whole structure wasn't necessarily the problem, but something was wrong with me. Um, even though even though that particular position had had six people in it in, in six months leading up to it. So there was a super high turnover rate for this position. I ended up finding that out later. But I was I was just so stressed in that work um, to the point that I couldn't get away with it. Even when I would go home, I would have trouble falling asleep because I was dreading waking up for work the next day. I was having panic attacks. Um, it just wasn't a very good situation. And so I ended up deciding to save up and leave that position to to quit um, or put in my two weeks rather and go and get my yoga certification and go teach yoga. 
So that's what I did. I took a month off and I went and got my yoga certification, which then opened the doors up to fitness and wellness. So I started becoming a full-time fitness instructor at that point. I started doing some health coaching on the side and then the pandemic hit (laughs) and all of the fitness things that I was doing goodbye out the window, you know, within, within a day I had lost the three fourths of my work. Um, and so I had to, I had to pivot. I had to, I had to change. And so I decided to come into the online community, um, and start my own online business. And so when I very first started, I had more of a focus on anxiety and depression. And over time that had evolved into empowerment, um, and relationships more specifically. So that's a bit about my journey. Um, yeah. And that's how I got here today. So now I support people in, in changing their own lives and transforming. Which is awesome. But like, obviously you chose fitness first. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess that's obviously, clearly that's, I was going to say, I guess that's important <laughs> to you. But like, uh, obviously that's important to you. <laughs> yeah. It is because I think that I, I really do kind of come back to the belief of mind, body, spirit. Like when you look after your body, when you look after your mind, when you are healthy on a spiritual level, that's where the quality of life comes from. And so, so it makes sense that fitness was the, was the first next step for me. Right. But how hard was it for you to uh, pivot from uh, like when the pandemic hit and you got stuck, mm-hmm. like had you considered hanging on and holding off? Like how long was it before you just said, you know, not going to happen yeah. time to move. Like, like yeah. for example, I'm a, I'm a real estate agent when we closed, yeah. I mean, I've never heard of an office, like a real estate office completely closing. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, like I'm thinking, okay, we're going to sell homes through video. I don't think so. I mean, mm-hmm. there was a couple that were done like that, but for the most part, no, um, yeah. most people want to see that. So we originally thought, as an example, okay, we're closed for a couple of weeks and then we'll be back. And obviously yeah. <laughs> that went long past a couple of weeks. So how long had gone by before you said, okay, this isn't going to work and I'm not going to hang on? Well, yeah, absolutely. So when I when the pandemic hit, I was like, okay, two weeks. Like they're they're saying that 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 my work's closed. You know, some some positions have said they let me go, quote unquote. But in my head, I was like, okay, like two weeks because of the pandemic. That's fine. The studios who had said that we have to, you know, let people go because of whatever this was, they'll change their minds. They'll call us back. Um, Other people, you know, that shut their doors. It's just two weeks. We'll reopen. And then two weeks turn into four weeks. And then a month turned into two months. And then two months turned into four months. And it just kept getting longer. So it was probably about at the end of the first month, where I was like, I need to do something different. And I don't know what that is quite yet, but I know that something has to change. And there were a couple different reasons for that. One, I was bored out of my mind. Um, I had gone through Netflix and we're, there's only so much you can watch Netflix. I know, I know we all like love watching TV and all that, but there's only so much that I can watch TV. Um, and then the second part was I, I wasn't getting paid. So at the time I didn't qualify for unemployment for whatever reason. Um, eventually that did come through, but for a big, for a big bulk of that, I wasn't getting any income. And so I had to decide for myself, like, what do I need to do to, to make it through this? And so that was my, that was the initiation. Um, and what I very first did, the very first thing I did, 
uh, in terms of starting my own business was actually I put out yoga videos and there was someone who came to my to my studio who bought a pack, uh, a 10 class pack of personalized yoga flows for him. And I, I really have to go email this guy because he's he started this track for me. So I need to say thank you. <laughs> the side reminder in my head. Um, but that was the start. I, I had put out yoga videos for somebody. And then that that release led to a program. So I, I ended up deciding that what I really wanted to do is I wanted to, yes, I love yoga, but I didn't want to stay in fitness anymore. It was taking a big toll on my body to teach that much. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to give people the tools to transform their own lives. I wanted to give people the practices, the knowledge, so that they could actually like put it into action in their life and see their life transform. And so I, I launched a, a program called Shift Your Story. And what that program was, it was about mindset, it was about emotional intelligence, and it was practical practices that people could put into their life. So then I just launched that. And it was a bit on a whim. But then people signed up for it. And the rest is history. You know, it's one of those things where I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do this. You know, I, I've created this. I think it's good. I think it could help people. I'm going to put it out there. And then people signed up for it. And I've been rocking and rolling ever since. Which is great. Now, okay, so you realized that uh, yoga wasn't going to be forever. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Like, when you started that, like, was it a transition thing for you? Or, or was it something you had originally thought was going to be uh, a long-term thing? Yeah, I, I had two thought processes around it. The, it was mainly a transition and I did treat it as such. I knew that the, the, the job that I had, it was either one of those jobs that you get in, you just got stuck in a crappy situation. And, you know, we've all had those jobs where it doesn't mean that it's, it's the case for every position. It doesn't mean it's the case for every corporate job. But I did have a really terrible corporate experience. And so I needed a break before I decided to go back into it. Of course, being on the other side, I hear a lot of people have a hard time with corporate um, because it's not actually set up for the people from my perspective. And so after that point in time, I decided, okay, like, what can I do with yoga after this? But there's there's only so many places you can go with it. You can open a studio. You can become a yoga teacher trainer yourself. You could teach full time. But for me and my body, teaching six or seven classes a day, I started to, to experience a lot of pain. Um, and I knew that that wasn't going to be the route for me. So it was much more of a transition. Right. So basically, you were listening to, uh, you were listening to your body in this circumstance. Yeah. And you know, I mean, going to the whole corporate thing, I kind of agree with you on that. Mm -hmm. I had, um, you know what? I kind of felt the same way to a point. I, I completely understand that. And and I think a lot of people right now, especially since the uh, pandemic started, have felt the same way. That's why mm -hmm. they're kind of giving this pandemic a uh, nickname of the corporate resignation. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that's the thing, right? Like, I think it's because people today have changed the way what's important to them. And 2021 isn't the same thing that was important to the people who were born or who are, were working in the corporate world in 1985 or in 1995 or even 2005. Mm -hmm. I, I think uh, something, you know, somewhere along the line, things have transitioned. It just took a while for people to click in. Mm -hmm. And maybe some people still haven't clicked in. And I think the pandemic just made people jump. Um mm -hmm. It's one of those things that, uh, I mean, let's face it, in the 80s and 90s, your boss said jump and you say how high. Mm -hmm. 
1995, people say jump and people hesitate. Mm-hmm. From the 2000, people say jump and the answer is why? Mm-hmm. Yeah, how it's transformed? Yeah, well, it's interesting because we we look at it too. And I think a lot of it's also the context of history. So like in the 1930s, we were in a in a depression. We had just come out of a war, you know, like the world war, wars were happening in the early 1900s. So then when you get to the point of the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, people are grateful to have a job. And, and, the, and, and so we get used to this context of this is what it means to work. You should be grateful that you have this. You should be grateful that you have this opportunity. And it doesn't matter that you're working yourself to the bone or you're getting sick or you're putting yourself in dangerous situations because like a, a nine to five compared to a world war, like you do have it really, really good in that comparison, but it doesn't take away from the fact that you are still experiencing anxiety. You're still perhaps getting bullied at work. You might be being harassed at work, but it's just a completely different context now than it was back then. Um, and and so I think we're, we're getting to the point where people are really, really waking up to that. And also that people are stepping into a new sense of power within themselves that they, they know that they don't have to be treated that way and they're not going to let themselves be treated that way. So I think, I think that's part of it too, the context of history and what's going on in current events um, as well as what's happening in corporate. For sure. Now, this is one of those things that I believe is um, our great-grandparents, obviously, like uh, you would have said, or great-grandparents or grandparents, depending what age you are, um, mm-hmm. came from the war, like you said. So for them, everything was scarcity. Mm-hmm. And it was like, beware, because let's face it, they're hiding in bunkers because the bombs are dropping. So what ends up happening is war is over and they're always afraid. And then they come, you know, saving everything. And back then people used to fix things instead of replacing them mm-hmm. because of that same scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. And where then our parents would, would just say, well, my parents came to Canada mm-hmm. and, um, you know, they came here with uh, suitcases and 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. for lack of better description right so what happens they're still from that generation where they witnessed all the war may have not been part of it some of them were but they witnessed it and that's still that scarcity mindset like oh my god yeah. we're gonna run out and but they but what's the common theme here i want to make sure my parent, kids do not suffer the way i did yeah so that's where the whole go to school get a good education get a good job started coming from Mm-hmm. Right then, then the next generation, which I think was the baby boomers, came in, and they're being spoiled by their parents, but they still didn't get their way. So it goes down to the next generation. I want, I had to work, I had to uh, save up for my own car. I uh, did poorly on my grades in comparison because I was so busy going to school and going to work at the same time. I didn't have the time to study and excel mm-hmm. as far as I could have. You know what I mean? I want to make sure my kids don't suffer the way I suffer. So mm-hmm. the next generation, you know, school, like they're being provided with a car. They're being, the, the parents would loan them the money. Mm-hmm. They were still expected to pay it back later, pay it back, you know, when you have a job, like it wasn't given. But then the next generation says, man, I just got a job and I don't keep any of my paycheck. I could barely get by because I got to pay my parents back. I don't want my kids to suffer. So I'm going to make sure they have a way to get there. And then I'm going to do as much as I can to make sure they don't suffer the way I did. So next thing you know, parents are now giving cards away and they're not expecting the money to come back. They're loaning down payments. Everything's being taken care of. Their kids are special. 
You know what I mean? They go to the real world and the boss says, this is what you got to do. No, I don't. My mom says I'm special. And then the truth comes in, right? Like, and I think it's just generation after generation. In a sense, our parents fucked us up. Part of my language. So, but where I'm going with this, I was going to a point. It wasn't just to say how our parents are fucking us up. Um, <laughs> well, I also think that, like, I think that it can go this way. I think it's really, this is where I'm torn on this sentiment. Because I'm not, like, pushing it to the side at all. Because I do think there are people who feel entitlement. Absolutely. But it's also, like, one of those things. There, It's not wrong, like, providing these things for your kids. Just also, it's the, like, see the quality in what you are given. Like if you have been given these things by your your parents, part of the parents' responsibility is also to show the quality of that and to show the value of that and to like also teach the appreciation of that. And I think that's the catch there that like, it's easy to say like, I'm giving you all these things and you're special. And like some people can get that sense of inflated ego. And I think that there there can be a a way that's done well of giving things to your children while also teaching them the value of working for those things and the value of those things itself. Right. But where I was going with this was the fact Mm -hmm. that to sum up what you uh, were saying, you know, just if you learn to look through the eyes of gratitude, that kind of sums Mm -hmm. that up. But where I was going with this is that we've been pushed to have this education Mm -hmm. and we've been, and part of education is to not just jump as we're being told Mm -hmm. it's to think and and it's to explore. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and it's to think for ourselves, have a mind for ourselves, be able to analyze things and come up with a judgment and try to find efficiencies or better ways to do things. Mm -hmm. So when people are saying jump and you're going, why? No, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I, I think I have a better idea. And I think it's created a miscommunication in the corporate world. Yeah. And that's where I was going with this because we're educated now. And now that we're educated, we're taught to think. And now we're thinking. Mm-hmm. Well, older generation hasn't learned that thinking, you know, you know, that both sides have a different perspective. And maybe there could be some common ground. Yeah. They're still living in hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Where I, I find today's generation is more working on even level. Forget the hierarchy. How can we make this better together? Mm-hmm. And nobody's communicating. They're just butting heads. Yeah, absolutely. So that's where I was trying to go with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a long-winded story. <laughs> I love it. I I often go into side stories. So absolutely. Yeah, I think that in corporate. And I think you brought up something like really interesting, which is what there's there is hierarchy in corporate for a reason in in societies for a reason, because you want to know who to turn to when you need an answer or when you need support or who who is in charge of what. So it makes sense from the hierarchy perspective. I think the 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 key thing that you you pointed out was the communication between people and and the mindset of it more than anything else because is it is it a hierarchy for this for the sake of saying I'm I'm the one with the power listen to me or is it hierarchy from saying like I'm the CEO it's my job to look after you it's my job to have a vision for this company it's my job to make sure we grow in the way that we want to grow and I know that even though I'm the visionary, you have skills and you have experiences that I don't have as the project manager, as the employee, as whatever your title is. So even though, yes, technically I'm at the top of this hierarchy, what can we 
do as an organization to get there together? What can we do to communicate, to work, to come up with ideas that is better for you, better for me, better for us long term? So it's it's one of those complex things because like you can have a hierarchy in a system that does not make you a better person than anybody else. And I think that's where a lot of people end up butting heads is this sentiment that because you have a certain title or because you're in a certain position, you're better or less than. And I think that's really what's coming into the, the boiling point in society right now. I agree with that 100 mm -hmm. percent. So and with that being said, right, like you can not understand why everyone's venturing out. Everyone wants to try it for themselves. Everyone wants to project their vision. Yeah. Now, obviously, that's probably kind of the same thing of how you got into it because weren't happy where you were. So yeah. you wanted to try to project your vision of what, how you see your perspective of life and how what where you feel you can grow. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, we all have moments where we start, get into the business and then go, crap, what the hell have I done? <laughs> right. And, 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 and it's that moment of fear. Right. And sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's a fear through scarcity. Sometimes it's a fear just because something went bad. Sometimes mm -hmm. um, you feel imposter syndrome. Um, what was that moment for you that, that has come where you, you're in the thick of things and thinking, what did I do? And how did mm -hmm. you overcome it? So I, I would have to say that the biggest like, what did I do? How did I have to overcome it? Um, I've had, a, I had a couple of instances and I'll give two examples. So the, the first was, was frankly, just starting the business was being in a position where I didn't have any money coming in. I had some savings, but I wasn't rolling in it. And so I had to make a few tough calls of what I was going to do next. And was I going to hold out? Was I going to um, produce and and try and take on more clients? Because at this point, I had only like taken on um, one or two clients um, since the health coaching days. And I, I had to decide whether I was going to invest in my business too. And when I say invest, I mean invest in myself, invest in my business. So hiring coaches, hiring mentors. And so for me, I that was probably the thick of it in terms of the world was going crazy and I didn't have any work set up. My finance, finances were not in a healthy position. I was isolating. I didn't have people around me. So that was probably one of the, the scarier moments of my life of deciding, okay, am I going to do this? Just even the first decision of, am I going to start a business? Is that what I'm going to do? Um, and for me, getting through it was a lot of reflection, was a lot of asking myself, what, what, it, what was it that I ultimately wanted? And not just to get out of the pandemic with, but what did I want for my life? And I asked myself that question. And when I asked myself that question, I wanted freedom. I wanted financial freedom. I wanted time freedom. I wanted flexibility. I wanted to be able to wake up when I wanted to wake up. I wanted to work in a way that was best for me. And that was allowing my full genius to come through and my vision to come into fruition. So for me, that, that then went from reflection to a lot of self-trust and developing self-trust and developing the mindset of self-trust um, and then getting the support. So I, so investing if I and trusting myself to make that call in mentors and different programs for me to learn the skills that I desire to learn to make my business successful. And then the second just like 
oh shit, what have I done moments was <laughs> almost the flip side of that was deciding when to, to direct people to other places and when it wasn't a good fit to work with me. Because when I very first started my business, I had people who were incredibly anxious and incredibly depressed. And I, I can support a lot of anxiety and depression. And there does come a point when the best next step for that person is therapy or some other sort of support. So it was being able to distinguish who can I actually lead in integrity and in a secure, safe way? And who did I need to guide to somebody else on their journey? Um, and being able to set down ego and put on um, the the support role of what is best for you and not what is best for what my projected numbers or what I desire, how many clients to hold or something like that. Right. That makes total sense. Now you said two things here, right? Like it's one is a mentorship, but let's like, I'm going to get into that. And yeah. the second thing was knowing who to, uh, who you can help and who you can't and letting go. So I'm going to form a two-part question here. Yeah. One is, I mean, it's good that you, you know, early on you thought about getting a mentor. So my mm -hmm. question is, how did you get a mentor? How did you find the mentor? And mm -hmm. did you have more than one mentor? Was it somebody that you came across? Did you find somebody? Did you click with the first person you talked to? Like, mm -hmm. how did that turn out? And the second thing was, in terms of um, knowing who you can and can't work with, mm -hmm. how did you determine who was the right fit and who wasn't? Mm -hmm. So for the first part, in terms of mentorship, I do think that choosing your mentors is actually quite important and choosing someone that is good for you, who supports your vision and who not only supports your vision, but can see two or three steps that you can't see yet. And you can't see it, not because you haven't dreamed that big, but just because it might be out of the scope of what you think is even possible for yourself. So I think finding a mentor, first and foremost, who can hold your vision and then some is so incredibly key. I also I have I have a few strong opinions on mentorship. My second strong opinion on it is it doesn't matter if that person works for a million other people. If you do not click with them, they are not the mentor for you. Having a mentor is there's an alchemy in, in a mentee mentor relationship. And so find somebody who you jive with, who understands you, who you understand, who you can communicate with, who you can brainstorm with. Um, so for me personally, I found a lot of my mentors on the internet, on the online space. Um, and I've had some really incredible mentors and I've had some mentors that I would not work with again for, for a lot of the reasons I, I stated of, I hired them because they came well recommended, but even when I didn't feel a click, um, I went forward and it ended up not being the right fit due to personality. I think there's a lot to be said for the right fit for you. For me on the online space, I had an idea of what I was looking for. So what I desired support in, 
And so for me, it was a lot of business support. So what did, what did I need to know to learn the foundation of business building? Who are the mentors that I see in the space? Who do I click with? Who do I want to learn from? What is their business? What is their mission? What is their vision? And does that align with my values and what I deeply care about? If so, great, let's have a conversation and see if it would be a good fit for us to work together. Um, so that's how I went about it. I think if, if for whoever is looking for a mentor, um, it's, it's really about personality fit. It's about what are your values and do their values match with yours? Um, and then can they hold your vision and then some? That's what I would look for when it comes to mentorship. Um, and then I forgot your second question. <laughs> <laughs> the second question was, um, how do you know if you will, like in terms of your business, who you can work with, who is beyond your help? Yeah. Um, and beyond your help, not in a negative, but maybe yeah. it's more than with, yeah. So. Yeah. So, so for me, it is, it is the line of like, just to put it plainly, it's, are you suicidal? Like, like, I don't know how else to like say that. Um, it's like, cool. Are you experiencing suicidal thoughts? And this is out of my scope of practice. Like, are, do you have intentions? And this is out of my scope of practice. Um, if, if you're experiencing anxiety, if you're experiencing depression, then it's a conversation. It's a conversation of, do you have a therapist? Um, is that something that you have had, will have, um, if, there, if it's light anxiety and light depression, then I, I feel very confident in my ability to hold it. Um, and we check in, you know, we check in, how is this, you know, has it been improving? Has it not? Okay. Let's, let's go through it. So for me, for me, it's a very, very blunt, clear line. Um, for another example of who's a right fit to work with me or not is what they're looking to learn. Um, so for example, I would not be the best health coach, um, not health coach, like cooking coach, because I don't necessarily cook. You know, I have knowledge on nutrition, but I wouldn't know how to put it in a meal for you, for example. Um, so so that's when it's like, okay, is this out of integrity or a sports coach, for example? Right. I get that part. That makes sense. So when I read over your website and you said it earlier that you had um, like you had anxiety growing up mm -hmm. as well as an eating disorder. Mm hmm. How did you get out of that yourself? Like, what was the key component and how did you know you had a problem? Well, it's kind of a complex thing because, of course, when you're in it, you don't think you have a problem. And that's the case for most things. When I was in it, I was uh, experiencing a lot of stress in my life. And so for me, in hindsight, that was a way to control my situation. It was a way to control my circumstances. But when I was in it, I wouldn't have said that I was in it. It wasn't until probably a couple years into it that pe like I started to talk more about it and people would then encourage me to go talk to somebody else about it. And for me, that was a signal that, oh, this might be a little bit more serious than what I'm making it out to be. So, so that was my experience. Um, and then I would say how I, how I got out of it was from getting support first and foremost was going and talking to a therapist about it, talking to other women about it, about body image, about um, societal pressures on body image um, and starting to do the mental processing of that experience. 
And then after that, when I was more in the, the healing phase of my eating disorder, what I did was I, I did mindset work, <laughs> you know, I, I consciously put thoughts into my brain that supported me that thoughts like I'm beautiful thoughts like I, uh, my body, I love my body because my body allows me to run and to swim and to dance and to, to be and to move through the world. So I started getting these thoughts into my head that were going to support me a heck of a lot more than I hate my body. My body is crap, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I really stepped into mindset work. And then I also step into a lot of emotional regulation. So if you ever have someone in your life who has eating disorders, you'll notice that they could, they can become very triggered around food. Um, and they have certain ways that they need to eat food or certain foods that are bad foods, quote unquote, or certain foods that are, you know, you can only have so much of. And so for me, I, I, when I got into that triggered state, I needed to learn how to re-emotionally regulate myself so that I could shift my relationship with food and how I felt about food even. So I would say like getting out of it was a lot of mindset and it was a lot of emotional intelligence. For sure. That makes total sense. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and a lot of times, a lot of people uh, disregard mindset, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They always push it aside and I believe that is wrong. And I, I also believe that you can't coach a person who isn't willing to look at their mindset, mm -hmm. right? Like I, even when my, like I've started a coaching business, I mean, the official launch is in January and I've mm -hmm. had conversations with people and already some, I can tell who who's coachable and who's not just based on the mindset conversation. Mm -hmm. Like when somebody turns around and says, Oh, I don't want to hear about mindset. You know, I just want uh, a tailored program that tells me what to do and step-by-step. Step. And I'm going, not the way it works. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah, I, I think that for, for my experience, mindset is incredibly key in shifting your reality and, and creating the goals that you want to create for yourself and having the life that you want to create for yourself, because it, it's everything starts with how you're thinking and how you're feeling your thoughts and your feelings. That's what dictates your actions. And then your actions become your patterns and your patterns become your behavior. And so if you are currently in the pattern of not having the success that you want to see, then you need to go back a couple of steps and ask yourself, okay, then what actions am I taking? And what is the thoughts and the feelings that are leading to those actions, which is then keeping me in this pattern. So I, I think it is incredibly important when it, when it comes to success or creating the the life that you want to create because someone can give you the plan but if you don't trust yourself to execute the plan if you don't believe the plan is going to work for you because you feel like you're not good enough then it, it doesn't matter if someone gives you the plan for sure and that's the thing right like if you are in your mindset and your mind is telling you that you're gonna fail mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what plan you're given or what you do because mm -hmm. you're gonna find a way to make it not work and then you're going to turn around and point at the plan and say, see, I told you that wasn't going to work. Mm -hmm. Right. Because exactly. we always tend to find what we focus on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? What you focus on expands. Absolutely. Exactly. And I hate to say this, right. It's a lot of that, that, this mindset is also has a lot to do with why some people are poor and remain poor. Mm -hmm. It's not because, you know, they have that scarcity mindset where money is limited. Right. Like, and, and, and only certain people can get it. Well, if you're telling yourself that, you already feel defeated. You're not going to search for it. You're not going to go out and do the extra. You're not going to go out and find the opening for you because you've already told yourself you're defeated. 
Yeah, I mean, I think so systemic and, uh, and governmental and whatever issues aside, you know, in terms of in terms of that, I think that there is a lot to be said about your mindset, especially when it comes to finances, because in that same vein, you could have 50k sitting in the bank right now in your savings, but it's on your checking account. So therefore, you don't have any money, you know, like, and that's just a mindset thing. It's like you got 50k. You know, it's, I see it in your savings account, but you only have $500 in your checking account. And so therefore you're broke, you know, and that's a mindset or, or vice versa. Like I don't have enough money to pay for this coaching program. That's $500, you know, but I have enough money to pay for the new iPhone. That's a thousand, you know? So like, is it that you don't have the money or is it that you, you are finding value in certain things? And so therefore you're putting it towards those certain things and then telling yourself this story that you're broke. And that's kind of taking you away from like being poor or whatever. Um, but like, it, I just kind of wanted to speak on the general perspective of like Absolutely. money mindset, you know, because it's like, you can have money and think that you don't have money. You know, you can be the richest person, but still live in scarcity because you haven't untrained the patterns and the belief systems that led you. Um, even though you were able to create the financial abundance, you still have those thought patterns and those beliefs sitting in your brain and your body. Um, so, so you can have success and not actually feel like you're successful. We see it all the time with celebrities. We see it with people in positions of, of politics, you know, who have this quote unquote position of power, but don't feel successful, don't feel good enough, face imposter syndrome every day are the loneliest people because they are still living in this mental, emotional system of not enoughness or scarcity. Right. See, I want to touch your point on what you said about about the iPhone versus uh, the coaching program. Yeah. <laughs> because you touched about a point that I, that I wanted to bring up, and I didn't want to interrupt you. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> so what ends up happening is I find a lot of times it's exactly what you said. They have the money for the iPhone, mm -hmm. but they don't have the money for the coaching. And it could be the same, just say 2000 bucks. Yeah. I think the reality is, is that it's a sense of priorities and a mm -hmm. sense of beliefs. Yeah. And what I mean is, well, actually, sorry, let me rephrase it this way. It's a sense of beliefs that tell you what your priorities are. Mm -hmm. And here's my point, because you believe that you need this iPhone 100% or you can't survive. It's going to get you some stupid service or whatever it is that's new with it. And it's going to make the difference to get you to that next level. And you want to believe it because it's a hard object. So people will invest into hard objects yeah. because they look at it and say, well, at least I got something in my hands, mm -hmm. right? Like they can kind of justify it or relate to it somehow that even worst case scenario, they still have something, mm -hmm. right? Where with coaching, you're not really sure, you know, where the value is because what if it doesn't work? What do I have then? Mm -hmm. What, you know what I mean? So you prioritize something that you create a fictitious story about but you're scared to take chances because your belief you're in, in that imposter syndrome like you said a lot of times not all the time but sometimes people are in that imposter syndrome where like that can't be me that's meant for you because that's why you're in that business because you know that works for you how's it going to work for me i don't belong in that mm -hmm. so they create this belief that it's not going to work for them so they don't want to put the money they they will finance their iphone but they won't go in and finance a coaching program that can help them get to the next level. Yeah. So, and, and then that's, that's how powerful mindset can be. Yeah. It's incredibly powerful. And, and it's one of those things that too, I think that we place value on societal status symbols as well. In the same way that you said, it's like a herb herd object. Um, 
I think that if we see something that's a status symbol, we're more willing to put ourselves in a, you know, in a, in a loan or even in debt to get that thing because we want to be of a certain societal status when it could be something that doesn't, you know, isn't shiny, doesn't come in an iPhone box, but will actually get you to the the different place that you want to be in. So, so it is mindset, it is perspective and it's, it's, what are you willing to step forward into and why or why not? For sure. Exactly. Now here, let me ask you something. Now you've been in the business. You said from the, you started what third month in from the, uh, when the pandemic started, I would say so. Yeah. So that's March, April, May, roughly May, June of uh, 2020. Yeah, about, a, about a year and a half or something like that. Right. So we all have, a like I asked you earlier, what was your moment of, Oh God, what did I do? Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to ask you the polar opposite. What was mm-hmm. that moment that, that made that something good happened? And mm-hmm. then you said, you know what? I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Thank God. <laughs> um, that's a great question. I mean, I have honestly, I have those every month and like maybe even every week. And I and that might be a little bit of a cop out answer, but I, I sincerely mean it because I have the most incredible conversations with my clients. And when I go through an entire day of client calls and I'm talking like five, six client calls and I get to the end of the day and I'm like smiling and I'm happy because I felt like I served and I felt like I supported people. And not only that, but I felt like I used the gifts that I think I have been given um, and then the knowledge and skills that I have learned over the years and to see that pay off in the transformation of somebody's life it it really it really solidified for me that this was the thing that I was meant to be doing and then getting so many compliments from people who are are paying me (laughs) um and and it's like well I should hope that they like me if they're paying me but also like the flip side of that is like these people are finding so much value in what they're investing in. And how incredible is that? That that these are people who are are paying good money for this service and are getting so much out of it and are thanking me for it. So for me, I have so many reminders um, from that perspective of like, like if there's a like an I made it feeling, um, that's it. You know, being able to get off a client call and just laughing because we if the conversation flowed so easy they saw a lot of changes they got a lot of support um and then getting off and just like feeling so grateful and so thankful and then also the flip side of that like a lot of people come to me in some of the darkest moments of their life um or their relationships or their personal experience and so being able to hold space for somebody who is crying who is having a breakdown and knowing that oh i was able to hold that i was able to help that person and they're they're better off because of that call and because of this experience like for me that's that's kind of the showing that that this is where I'm meant to be. And this is what I'm meant to be doing. Like, sure, I could get into like financial wins and stuff like that. And don't get me wrong. I like money. Money's nice. I'm grateful for what I've been able to like make through my business. But it's it's the people that make me so excited to show up every day. See, I want not to cut you off here. But one thing I noticed here, and, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because I seem to notice this on every interview. Mm-hmm. It ends up being the common story, which is not one person said they had a moment of satisfaction because of the money. <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, I think that we might, here's the thing about finances, like we're getting into the money mindset thing, right? Like money mindset part two is that money will make you happy to a point, you know, like there's some number like 60 K or 70 K or something like that. And maybe it's changed with the, the rate of prices changing in America um, and, and in other places, but there is an income level in which all of your needs are provided for. And so therefore that amount of money has made you happy. Um, but I would also argue like if we lived in a different setup where you just got food, water and shelter, perhaps it wouldn't to the same degree, right? Like money is just a tool. Money is just a piece of paper that we give value to. And it allows us to do a lot of different things, but like it doesn't inherently make you happy or unhappy. What changes the quality of your life, like what I deeply, deeply believe is how you think about yourself, how you think about the world, and then your relationships, like a lot of quality in life comes from fulfillment and relationships, like living in your purpose, living in your truth, and also like who you walk the walk with. Right. Well, that's the thing. It's more of the experiences you have in life will always outrank any money you've earned. Yeah. Now, I find a lot of times people, again, it goes back to mindset. They get in their mindset, they got to do something for money, right? Because money is going to change the world, right? Mm -hmm. Now, again, money is a tool, like you said. And I, I don't care what anybody says. You're not going to have negative $30,000 in your bank account and said, woohoo, I'm happy. Mm -hmm. Right. That I'm not saying that. Yeah. But it's one of those things that as long as like you said, as long as you could provide for yourself and you feel some form of security. Yeah. Whether you have one hundred thousand dollars or ten million dollars in the bank, you're not going to be any happier. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, it's that sense yeah. of security. Once you have that, it's going to be the experiences that are going to make the difference in life. Mm hmm. Yeah. And so for me, like what, going back to something I said, probably like the first 10, 20 minutes into this was I like when I asked myself, what did I want for myself? Like in the pandemic, when I was really deciding whether I was going to start this business or not, like I, I really decided for myself that I wanted to, to have a life full of good experiences. And part of that was to have the freedom and to have work, which frankly, like if you look at your life, if you look at the modern setup of a nine to five in, in Western society at this point in time, eight hours of your life every day, five days a week goes to work. And so for me, like part of what I wanted in terms of my quality of my life was to have my work be a place where I have really fulfilling, meaningful experiences that light me up and where I feel I get to use my gifts and my expertise to support people and do what I feel is my mission here on this planet. And so I think that like if everybody had that opportunity in their work, we would all be a lot happier. But it's definitely the experiences. Like when you look at job or retention too. Like, yep, getting more money does help with job, you know, retention. Yes, like you might leave if you got a higher job offer. But if you look at companies like Google, for example, who gives like food to their employees and sports rooms and gyms and all of these other things, they get a lot of retention from the quality of their experiences and from their people and their relationships. So I think that there was a little side thought there, but I think that there's so much to be said about experiences and the fulfillment that you get from those experiences that you create. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I, I, I can't even add to that. I mean, you, you nailed the, you know, the hammer on the nail there. <laughs>
(laughs) (laughs) So now being an entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. obviously your day is always full, like full of things to do. And things are always juggling around and there's no such thing as, you know, Mondays at 9 a.m. or this and Tuesdays at 10 p.m. or that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, like, I'm sure you have somewhat of a structure and, and you sort of have your whole week planned or next day planned. Like where I'm going with this is what is your typical schedule look like? I think people might be a little mad at me. I actually think I have a lot more space than, than a lot of people give me credit for. Um, so basically what my general schedule looks like every day, it really, it does depend on the day. Um, there's, I do work at least an hour, two hours every day, no matter what. Um, and that, and that includes weekends and a lot of, and I'm happy to do it, you know, happy to do it. I could restructure it differently and not do it. But for me, that's what feels really good being an entrepreneur, owning my own business. Um, so for me, what it looks like is on, for me, I have uh, client calls Wednesday, Thursdays, Friday. And then the other time during the week, I am creating content that I feel would be really juicy and supportive for people, for for my audience. Um, And then I also spend time coming on to to podcasts, speaking with people, uh, doing Facebook Lives, running my own Facebook group, engaging with people there, engaging in other Facebook communities and networking, and just getting to know other people's experiences within the entrepreneurial field, but also um, in terms of you know, leadership, relationships, empowerment, just people looking to learn more and get support there. So a lot of my time is networking. A lot of my time is content creation. Um, And then the other parts of that is providing materials for my clients. So creating um, different, uh, it could be anything from mindset prompts to meditations, to um, embodiment work, to um, creating whole po- programs and and sets of of lessons and learning material for people, um, and then hopping on on client calls. So hopping, my client calls go anywhere from forty five minutes to an hour. Um, so I hop on my calls and I chat with clients in between on my Voxer app. Um, so sometimes I'm ans- answering clients. Uh, but I have a decent amount of gaps throughout the day too, and I think that's almost the perk of being an entrepreneur because. I don't think that more time necessarily means that more work is going to get done. I've decided that I'd rather be efficient and work in less time than worry about if I'm working eight hours or nine hours or 10 hours a day. Um, so I just make sure to really, really focus my time. And then I have a decent amount of gaps throughout the day. Right. But at the same time, it's not like you wake up on Monday morning and go, surprise, someone's at your door. You know what I mean? Well, it could happen on a personal level. But the point is, you can almost predict what's Mm -hmm. going to happen next. Yeah. Right. So exactly. And that's usually what I find common with the entrepreneurs. They, even though it seems like chaos, I call it organized organized chaos. chaos. (laughs) Exactly. Nothing by chance. Yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely a structure where I have a lot of moving pieces, but they all work because I'm the one managing them. (laughs) Exactly. So what would you consider? a successful date for you? For me, my what I considered my most successful days is when I'm talking with people. And, and that's just really my personality. It's like if I'm having a client call, that's a successful day. If I'm um, if I'm coming onto a podcast and like getting to chat with somebody new and getting to share experiences, that feels like a successful day for me. Um, so for me, it's when I 
when I get to chat with people and then it's doubly successful if I feel that the other person has also benefited from the experience, that they learned something new or made a breakthrough or took some steps further on their journey that they would not have taken. Right. So I want to be respectful of your time. Yeah. Um, but I have, uh, what I'm going to do is ask you one final question and then yeah. get into a little bit of a lightning round. Sounds great. Awesome. So last question is what would you tell aspiring entrepreneurs, people who have been hesitating, been afraid, but they really want to go out and do their own thing. Do it. Stop, stop deciding. We spend so much time deciding whether we're going to do something or not and debating about it. Just do it. Like do it messy. Do it without having all of the information. Do it scared. Do it even though you think someone might make fun of you. Do it even if you feel like someone's not listening to you. Like just do it because you're going to come up with every reason not to do it. So if you really want to do it, you're going to do it. And that's kind of really where I come down to it. Like we all do what we want to do. We might not think that we all do what we want to do, but we do. You always have a choice to not do something. But if you're doing it, it means you want to do it 51% more than you don't want to do it. Might just be 1%, but it's enough to have you go and do it. So if you're saying that you want to become an entrepreneur and you want to do your own thing, absolutely do it. And, and of course, like get your ducks in a row, like make sure you're set up and all that good stuff or don't, you know, <laughs> you know, it's your journey. Um, but, but do it. You don't, you don't need to think about it anymore. I agree with you. For me, no decision is a decision. Right. It's like, yeah, it's like you, you've decided to be in the indecision. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So getting into the lightning round. Yeah, let's do it. So favorite book. Oh, goodness. I mean, The Diaries of Anais Nin, if I had to pick one, my favorite self-development book is probably The Gap in the Gain. Oh, I've never heard that one before. Yeah. Sounds interesting. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's it's basically talking about like gratitude and how coming at it from the perspective of what you are gaining and what you have been good at and what you're grateful for will lead to more success and help you close the gap between you and the success that you're looking for. Nice. Um, favorite podcast? Ooh, probably the Lit Up and Loaded Entrepreneur. That sounds interesting too. Yeah. <laughs> It's by a woman named Lisey Seitz, um, who is actually my mentor, and she coaches people live on the podcast. Oh, love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's super, it's super, super interesting. If you're getting, if you're starting your entrepreneurial journey, a decent place to start. <laughs> For sure. Favorite movie? Ooh, Harry Potter, probably. <laughs> oh, wow. What's the uh, attraction there? I don't know. It was just the first one that popped into my head. So I figured it must be true. I think it's just like, uh, and I'm thinking very clearly of like Harry Potter 3, The Prisoner of Azkaban. Boom. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite vacation spot? Mm, Hawaii. Ooh, that one came naturally. Yeah. Just boom. It's like you were Hawaii. waiting for that. Yeah, Hawaii or visiting family back in England. Right, right. Well, family is always important. Yeah. And so that's when it's like, yeah, what's a vacation? Like, <laughs> <laughs> favorite food? Uh, Hawaiian rolls. <laughs> wow. That's a fir another first. Yeah. Um, I, I really love carbs. Um, and Hawaiian rolls have a really squishy texture that I enjoy, and they're sweet, which I also enjoy. <laughs> they like it sweet and squishy. I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. And the final thing is how do people find you? 
Yeah. So you can, I mostly hang out over on Instagram. So you can find me there at lucy.m as in Michaela.price. You can also find me on my website, shiftyourstory.net, or you can join my Facebook group, The Heartful Collective. Awesome. I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. This has Thanks been incredible. Thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for your questions. For sure. Definitely going to do it again in the future. Yes. Yes, please. For sure. Thanks again. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I had a blast and I can't wait to the next one. Awesome. Thank you so much.